0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. We are halfway through the football season, and basketball is back into full swing. And BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code Believe 50 B-L-E-A-V-50, B-L-E-A-V50 To receive your bonus today, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Good. good evening good afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live as always for the past three months on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is November 12th, according to my count. We have a Friday pod with our friend Gage Bridgeford, which was recorded before we found out that Cam Newton was a Carolina Panther, and before we found out that Odell Beckham is a Los Angeles Rams. so it will be a NFL podcast uh, without any of that context, but... We'll talk about that, and we'll also talk about my favorite story of the entire week, which is the Jokic brothers. Uh, and he, uh, Gage, covers Denver, the Denver Nuggets for SB Nation. So this is the perfect person to talk about social media trends and Jokic brothers fighting Morris brothers. We'll talk about that later on in the pod. I mentioned it a second ago. Odell Beckham is a Ram, and that is where I would like to proceed with the A-block before dabbling into some Aaron Rodgers talk, which seems to have been the theme of the last week or so, is Odell Beckham and Aaron Rodgers talk, because both of these stories are just so damn fascinating. So we will get to that in a second. Um, I guess Aaron Rodgers will lead into it. You'll see how I perfectly segue this podcast, but OBJ joined the Rams To the surprise of a lot of people, I think. I think people had kind of put him down for the Packers or the Ravens or the Seahawks or the Chiefs. You'd seen so many conflicting reports because everyone got fascinated by the transaction again. And the transaction sports market can sometimes be just as interesting as the games. Because a lot of the times macro samples... Don't change that often. Like, there is not a move that swings the needle one way or another so much in football that when you have a midseason move that will actually swing the needle for a playoff team, it makes things really, really interesting. And Odell Beckham is maybe the largest needle shifting player this late in a season in the last five to six years in the NFL. It's usually under weird circumstances that these players are available. I think the last time there was a shift of this magnitude was the Kareem Hunt cut. But other than that, you don't see these types of moves happen very often, especially for a player that doesn't have any problems. Like Odell Beckham does not have any baggage associated with it that would make corporate America shudder a little bit, especially these billion-dollar corporations. It's not like he's riled in scandal. He's riled in the type of scandal that doesn't actually matter and so this could be a big swing for the Los Angeles Rams and I know people want to talk about how well what, he's, if he was upset with targets why did he choose to go to the Rams and the answer to that question is because the Rams offense throws the ball a lot more and Odell Beckham is not basically going to Los Angeles to become Deshaun Jackson the Rams are going to totally change the way that they run offense because now they can dominate time of possession even more than they already do build on the strength of the team which is the offense and Sean McVay wants to hold the ball as long as he can and using Odell Beckham in drag routes and slant routes and screen passes are going to be a huge huge way to do it because Odell Beckham is more talented than Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and that's saying a lot because Cooper Cup leads the NFL in receiving yards right now. So the fact that they're going to use Odell Beckham in the short field instead of trying to make him Deshaun Jackson is going to be a huge, huge beneficiary to Matthew Stafford, who doesn't have to throw the ball all over the field like Jared Goff might have had to or like Lamar Jackson did against the Miami Dolphins. Like you can just pick apart defenses very systematically the same way Tom Brady always does it makes us marvel at his ability to just go seven yards, six yards, six yards, and just kill you ever so softly. That's the way the Rams want to run their offense. That's exactly how they're going to do it. If you want more of this type of Odell Beckham talk, you can check out the video we did with the Slump Buster. The link is in the description to today's episode. What I wanted to talk about also was the macro level idea, which is, These NFL stars really like going to Los Angeles. And we have this conversation a lot in basketball, for better or for worse, but we have the conversation in basketball a lot about big market versus small market and how stars want to go play in New York and Los Angeles and Miami and the Bay Area and all of that. And the reason that we have that conversation, the reason why it actually matters, is because Los Angeles is a really freaking cool place to live. New York is a really freaking cool place to live. Miami is a really damn cool place to live and play basketball. It's way better than living in the middle of nowhere Wisconsin, which was the other team that was connected to Odell Beckham Jr. And yet, he chose the Rams over the Packers. And the Packers are the classic small market, big market conundrum here, which is there is really only one reason that you would want to go join the Packers. And it is for number 12. And I told you we'd connect this all the way to the Packers, but we'll come back to that in a second. What I also found interesting is the fact that everyone wants to join Los Angeles, but nobody wants to join the Chargers. And this is a little brother, big brother syndrome situation. The Chargers prove themselves. I'm sure people will go join the Chargers in the same way, but the Rams are cool. The Rams are fun. The Rams are Sean McVay swaggering through his house and being the young image of changing guard of coaches in the NFL. And you have Odell Beckham and Jalen Ramsey who talk their shit and Aaron Donald, who just looks like a sculpted magical figure out of some sort of fairy tale, like a Greek god of some sort. And then you throw Von Miller into the mix where he actively chooses to go to Los Angeles, a star leaving the only place he's ever known and actively chooses to go to the Rams. And by the way, a team that's willing to throw caution into the wind. Oh, the Rams are so cool. And that might just be the appeal is that Los Angeles is an awesome place to live. California is is an awesome place to live. I know some people who might be in other places may think to the contrary. Let me just tell you, as someone who's lived in California their entire life, in two different cities in California, California is an awesome place to live. It is so freaking great. And so, welcome to Los Angeles, Odell Beckham Jr. Now to bring it back to him choosing not to go play in cold-ass Green Bay. There is only one reason Maybe a few more, but one major reason why you would choose to go to the Packers over the Rams, and it is because of number 12 in green. Aaron Rodgers is that reason, and does that one reason supersede all of the desires of Los Angeles, and playing with that team and that coach in that offense, does having that quarterback and that chance to win supersede all? All of that. Because the Packers might not be better than the Rams with or without Odell Beckham Jr. We really don't know at this point. We know both of those teams are elite teams. But if you get to the playoffs, it's kind of a coin flip game, which is why Odell Beckham could swing things the way that Antonio Brown swung the playoffs last year because he had two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Maybe it doesn't swing the result of a game, but it does change our math at least a little bit or force us to reconsider. So... Both the Rams and the Packers are very good. The Packers undisputedly have the better quarterback and that's just because Aaron Rodgers is still even at 39, the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football who has had a career revitalization in his late 30s. And so, this made me realize something along with the Odell Beckham situation and the Packers offering a minimum which may or may not have just been a token offer and reports that the Chiefs were the front runners for Aaron Rodgers and or for Odell Beckham, and then it was Rams or Packers, then it was Rams, and then it was wait to confirm, and then it was actually the Rams, and Sean McVay had a terrible poker face during his broadcast during his interview today, which, by the way, let's play that sound real quick, because it was creepy, the Sean McVay failed poker face, because he, he goes, he's smiling through this all, he has a really creepy laugh, and then he kind of just walks away at the end with a throwaway comment, just terrible poker face by Sean McVay, here's the sound of that
1: is always doing work behind the scenes. Like I said, I'm focused on the Niners right now, Gary. <laughs> I mean, Gary's smiling at me. What do you want me to do?
0: The little <laughs> really sold it for him. But anyways, the point I was going to with Aaron Rodgers is this. If the Packers wanted to strong arm Aaron Rodgers, they could totally do it. If they came into this offseason and said, hey, we may or may not have had an agreement for you to go somewhere else, but you just threw for 45 touchdowns and six interceptions and we just made another deep playoff run. Um, So you're staying as our quarterback and they could totally do it. And the thing I learned from this last week, along as like rethinking the stuff from this offseason is Aaron Rodgers really cares about being liked. And Aaron Rodgers still likes being corporate Aaron. At least he likes the perks of being corporate Aaron. Now, he's a counterculture thinker type of person, and we've talked about this idea before on the podcast, which is Aaron Rodgers' responsibility as a leader, and whether counterculture leads to him reversing that, and whether he's committed to the Packers or not, and whether he owes it to his teammates and all of that. We've talked about that and connecting it to Joe Rogan and all that stuff. And I find all that fascinating, but also acknowledge I don't know enough about Aaron Rodgers to draw any real conclusions other than stereotyping Aaron Rodgers based on the people that he associates with, which is, again, also a stereotype of Joe Rogan with the counterculture idea. All of that to say, I don't understand that part of Aaron. But it appears Aaron does really like being corporate Aaron. He likes being face of State Farm. He likes being guy who endorses water and Gatorade and uh, whatever other endorsements Aaron Rodgers has, but he does like the perks that come with that even as he countercultures this. And so the only leverage he has in the situation over the Packers at least for the next couple of years is his leverage to leave. And Aaron Rodgers still has 3 year or sorry, 2 years under contract with Green Bay before he can have an out. And, I mean, technically Green Bay can franchise tag him if they want, but I think that would be a step too far in the doing right by Aaron Rodgers camp. And Green Bay can make this ugly at the end if they so choose. If they think, we know this is a short-term bad move for not just public relations, but also just Aaron not being happy with us and the organization that he's going to be associated with for his career, but we can do it. And if we're willing to absorb all of that in the short term, we can keep Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. We don't have to trade Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers' only leverage in this situation is to make things ugly. And we talked about this before where Deshaun Watson, before all of the sexual assault allegations came in in March. So we're going back to December and January. Deshaun Watson was very much willing to make it ugly with Houston. He was not replying to their comments. He had publicly requested a trade and would not uh, talk to the team and would not do media requests with the team and made very clear that he did not want to return to the Texans and was willing to make things ugly in order to get his way and destroy fences within the organization. Russell Wilson had his brief moment where he flaunted with leaving the Seahawks and did the Dan Patrick interview where he said he wished they had better offensive linemen and then leaked by his agent the four teams that he would go and play for if he left Seattle. And as soon as things got ugly, Aaron uh, Russell Wilson folded. He went right back to being corporate Russell because Russell really likes being an extension of management, face of Alaska Airlines, face of Bose Headphones. Uh, Russell Wilson loves that part of being corporate Russell, and so he ends up walking away from his trade request, and then does an interview in July where he's like, "Hey, we're still friends. I know everyone thinks we hate each other, but we're still cool." Because Russell wasn't willing to make it ugly, and he'll be a Seahawk for the next couple of years. And Aaron Rodgers was somewhere in the middle, and this makes me realize even more so with him be—I mean—fearing the and I say this pejoratively woke mob because woke is a slur in this context. It's not like offensive all the way yet, but woke in this context is a slur because of the racial undertones that existed with what woke meant before it was hijacked for political purposes. The idea of being awoken to um, 200 years of oppression and systemic racism was the original context for woke. And it's now been hijacked by a lot of older white people who are conservative As an attacking word, so all of that to say, Aaron Rodgers' fear of that and also weathering the storm there makes me realize Aaron still really wants to be corporate face of State Farm. Aaron really wants to be well-liked. He wants to be cheered by Packers fans, and that's something that we can see he values because he wasn't willing to make it totally ugly and burn a bridge on his way out of Green Bay. And there's nothing that says he has to leave Green Bay at the end of this year other than maybe a a word of agreement between the Packers. But the Packers could totally bail on that word at this point. And Aaron Rodgers, if not willing to make it ugly, they can milk another year out of Aaron Rodgers if they so choose and prevent them from going into what I like to call the dark ages coming up in the next few years. On the flip side, maybe Rodgers survives this character assassination of him lying to us and becoming less liked than he was before especially among people who really look at this as a betrayal of their corporate face which i think is a little over the top and we've put up with a lot in terms of the anti-vax community here in america for the last year or so so i don't know why all of a sudden aaron Rodgers becomes a rallying cry that would get new people upset all of that to say like aaron Rodgers lied to us And Aaron Rodgers is not willing to live with the consequences. But that doesn't make Aaron Rodgers a villain. That makes Aaron Rodgers a dick. And all of that to say, maybe Rodgers survives this and then becomes more inclined to try and have his cake and eat it. Where he goes to the Packers, demands a trade, quietly makes things really ugly, but also is not willing to publicly shame the Packers into getting him to leave. So the Packers can strong arm him, and I don't think Aaron has any leverage in this situation because I don't think he's willing to make it ugly enough where the Packers would bail on him. So I think we're going to have another repeat of last off season when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers are going to strong arm him for one more season before he finally has the leverage to leave Green Bay. So with that being said, let us welcome in our good friend Gage Bridgeford to the podcast. Check him out on Twitter with the link in the description to today's episode at G. Bridgeford NFL. He also covers the Nuggets. So the first place we're going to very much start is with this Jokic story that I've been waiting to talk about all week. Good today. Uh, I do need to ask you right off the bat. First question post um, Jokic. Uh, and the Jokic brothers, uh, do we have a cage fight going on and, uh, would you pay money to watch
1: them fight? Um, everybody knows the, the Morris brothers are in terms of brothers in the NBA. They are some of the scrappier They're A couple of the scrappier dudes out there. Uh, they're definitely willing to go too bad for each other, no matter what. Um, I don't think this is the fight they want to take though. These two, the two Jokic brothers, uh, outside of outside Nikola, are um, they're pretty, they're pretty, they're pretty gnarly dudes. One of them has like MMA experience over in uh, Serbia, where they're from. Um, The other one looks like he's straight out of uh, a movie as an Eastern European mob member. He's uh, he's a big dude. I I'm not trying to mess with those two dudes. That's there's just plain and simple. Like there's, there's one in the smoke in the NBA and then there's one off the court smoke. And these aren't the two dudes I'm trying to mess with considering the fact that Jokic is seven foot tall and they're basically the same size as he is. They're only a little shorter. I'm not, I'm not trying to mess with them.
0: So in this story, what is your favorite part of it? Cause mine is the Jokic brothers creating a Twitter account Um, just to tell the Morris brothers that they will take them outside. Um, But there's a lot of funny here, like the fact that the Nuggets play the Heat in like two weeks and it's going to be in Miami and the brothers are probably going to make the trip down and start fighting some dudes in the stands in Miami. Um, what is your favorite part of it? Cause I, I would like to discuss, we haven't discussed it here on take it easy, but I would like to discuss the Jokic brothers tweets at some point, but I want to uh, see what
1: uh, you think is the funniest thing of all of this. Not necessarily the fact that they created a Twitter, but how fast it grew. I, so I saw the, like the initial reports of it yesterday morning, and then I looked at it yesterday afternoon. By the time I checked in the afternoon, they had 31,000 followers. And I was like, how in the hell did this account blow up so fast? And then the funniest part after that was just going through the comments. And for those of you that have not paid attention to Eastern Europe or just foreign basketball Twitter, which I'm sure most of the people listening haven't, those people on foreign basketball Twitter are ruthless. They are pride, they are proud. And if you say anything negative about them or people or players from their country, they are going to come for you. And that's all that happened. Anytime somebody said anything negative about somebody from from Serbia, there was 17 different Serbian accounts replying to that person, telling them why they were wrong. And there's people (laughs) sharing videos of the Jokic brothers, of one of the Jokic brothers fighting in MMA matches, just, they, it is it is always hilarious to me because I've like I've see, received my fair share of flack, um, mostly from slandering Faku Campazo, the backup point guard for the Nuggets, who's from Argentina. And, and for I've people seen- who don't know, he's one of these like cult figure type guys, like Caruso, yeah.
0: where people on Twitter really love him for no reason, mostly because he's short and white, but also just for weird reasons. People like adore him on Twitter, like. Uh, basically, think like Caruso, but just on a smaller level.
1: There's also the simple fact Caruso is like actually good sometimes. Composito is never good.
0: And, I, and, and you know what? Yes, but is, every two months he'll have a pack. He throws it between someone's legs and Twitter can get hyped about it.
1: That's cool. That's cool. You're right. You're you're right. absolutely right there. He does have the random pop off moment thing that goes viral on Instagram. But for the most part, he's not good. And if an Argentinian person hears me saying that and you're a big Composo fan, I'm not necessarily sorry. I just, the guys played so bad that he just got played out of the rotation the other night. In a game, the Nuggets <laughs> won by 20, Composo did not play, unless he, other than the very, very end of the game. Um, not to mention in a game where Murray and Porter did not play, he yep. also couldn't find the floor. Yep. Bones Highland has taken his minutes, which is great. But yeah, just it watching international basketball pour over into nba twitter that was the funniest part of everything to me is just because nba twitter is already a very interesting source or area of the internet to be in that when international basketball twitter gets in there it just messes up the entire ecosystem and no one on regular nba twitter has any clue what to do about it because they're like this isn't they're talking about things that I don't know. They're speaking in languages that I don't understand. And it throws them off and it cracks me up. Cause I'm like, this is what happens. This is why I don't really, the only international basketball player I have an issue with is Faku. I don't mess with any of the other ones. The Faku one has gotten me death threats before. I don't mess with any of the other, any other international players because for one, most of them are good, but for two, I'm just not trying to mess with it. It's, it's just yeah. in my best interest.
0: No, I get it. Uh, Bringing it back to the Jokic brothers tweet. uh, This this is the greatest thing. So one, they made an account the night that the fight happened so that they could call. And again, this is a dual account. It's just called Jokic brothers. And they made the account that happened. Number two, they only follow one person. Jamal Murray is the only person that account follows. Three, they have no profile photo and still don't have a profile photo. That, and by the way, you said the account had 31,000 at the time. It now has 50,000 followers on the Jokic brothers account. Nice. And <laughs> they still don't have a profile picture. On that night, they sent the same reply message twice to Morris. One to the original Morris tweet about it being a dirty play. Marcus Morris, I should say, the brother of they replied to the tweet and then sent the exact same tweet in a separate tag three minutes apart just so that they made sure Morris got it in two different places and also followed it up with a third tweet that are the only three tweets that exist on the account with after Morris responded you got the right ones believe that Jokic Brothers replied, "I don't believe I know that, and yeah, that's the they, only tweets that have existed on the entire account that has fifty thousand followers, no profile picture, and only follows
1: Jamal Murray." Yeah, they uh, and it and it has actually been confirmed by a Nuggets beat writer that it is that that's actually their account that is them it's It's not really them (laughs) it's not just some burner spoof account it is a legit account of theirs and when i when when it came across like the nuggets group that i write with the denver stiffs when it came across us hey do we want to write about this we were all kind of like nope we're not touching that we don't want anything to do with it we'll just focus on the other stuff and just leave that alone
0: and you have stuck to that, even yeah, as the story yeah, no, gets I, more and more yep, stupid.
1: Yep, we have not written about it once. I told the <laughs> uh, I told the other guys, I'm like, hey, if you guys want to write about it, be my guest. I'm not touching it, and no one has written about it because we're we're like we'll focus on the other stuff we talked about, Nicola's suspension. But we're not we were not trying to get involved with the uh, Morris Jokic brother Twitter beef. Just didn't it seemed like it was the best decision as a brand for us to just avoid that one. And what's the greatest part about that,
0: I think for myself, is that this has been actually confirmed to be them. And even after the fact, like if you were trying to make a fake Twitter account to get someone in trouble, this is exactly how you would go about it. Is no profile picture, use the account Jokic Brothers and send only two tweets that is exactly, and have no profile picture. If you were creating a fake burner account, like the guy who got Matt Patricia in trouble for sending like fake, uh, fake tweets, but it wasn't actually Matt Patricia's burner account. Like, if you were trying to make a fake version of it, this is exactly how you would go about it.
1: I'm still not convinced that that wasn't Matt Patricia's burner. Like, I know someone coped to it. Someone I know someone did. Him. I'm not convinced.
0: this is a great if people want to know i can't even go into this one just google matt patricia burner account like it's such a great story for people who don't know about this but i think patricia got fired like four weeks later or something and if it hadn't been like just the fact that they were just terrible i think this would have been a great way to point out that matt patricia got fired over his fake burner account that wasn't actually his
1: burner account (laughs) it was it was the most bizarre sequence it of events there just like i remember when the the rumors first started kicking up that it was the matt patricia burner and then just the rumors continued circulating and i was and i was like this is this is the most bizarre story an nfl coach being called out for having a burner account just and and everyone just like pretty much believes it because it's not because he's not going super blatant about it but at the same time he's pretty blatant he was to the the burner guy was he was towing the line very well I'll, we'll just leave yeah. it at that is it crazier than
0: an active NBA general manager of a model franchise from a model family having five burner accounts? Is it crazier than that possibly being a real thing?
1: That couldn't possibly happen, right? No, no. That one, that one's definitely crazier, but the, the Matt Patricia one is definitely up there.
0: Yeah, I think Antonio Brown had one of these too where someone made a fake Antonio Brown burner account and like 20,000 people followed it because they – all thought it was Antonio Brown's burner but uh, again i think someone caught to doing the fake one this happens every now and then and uh it's like a it's like a wall of uh, fame or something of that sort. It's like the jokic brothers now get to kind of climb that mountain of like burner accounts that got everyone fooled even though i know this
1: one's a real account yeah and it's it's all it makes no sense to me why people do it because it's not like you make money off of it i understand like sometimes people make like meme accounts that make, they can make money that way. But just making a, a burner account, me like a meme burner account that I'm like, you're not going to make any money off of that. What are you, what are you doing? Are you just bored? And, and you know what, if you're just bored and that and you're entertained by that, you know what, you're not really hurt as long as you're not hurting anybody, go for it, I guess. I mean, have fun, man. Yeah, you- Do your own thing.
0: You can get one article written in the Huffington Post about you. Why not?
1: (laughs) Hey, to each their own. Whatever works for you. If that's what works for you is getting an article written about you when you are just a random person on the internet, go for it. Doesn't hurt. Yeah, why
0: not? Why not? I mean, I remember the remember the guy who had the Captain Andrew Luck account. Like, I feel like that's one of those where like, it turns out, but at least that's it's the same idea of a burner account, except that one was like more, I guess, concrete than like someone just saying dumb shit on the Internet. Like that one at least was creative and like had thought put into it. But it's kind of the same idea where like the Captain Andrew Luck guy ended up being kind of famous
1: out of it. The, yeah, that one was that one got big. The, he only tweeted four hundred and eighty three times and had four hundred and sixty one thousand followers. Yeah, and then people tried to do one with Kirk Cousins. I'm like, I like the spirit, but I don't think you can recapture the magic again. Someone also tried to do it with Philip. Like, I think the same guy or a similar guy tried to do it with Philip Rivers as well. It just didn't land.
0: Yeah, no. Like, well, it's just because Andrew Luck looks, looks like a
1: Civil War veteran and
0: talks like a Civil War veteran. Just when you hear his voice, he looks like he was a, a Union Army soldier. That's, they're playing on the looks-like game of Andrew Luck on that one.
1: Yeah, like it, the Andrew Luck one was good. The Kirk Cousins ones and Philip Rivers ones just didn't quite measure up as much. It just, when you kept, that guy really caught, the Captain Andrew Luck guy really caught lightning in a bottle there and he had a special thing and he was and he did it perfect because he never he never overplayed his hand. He never tried to go too in depth with it. He didn't try and do too much. He didn't try and turn it into a volume tweet thing. He tried to focus on just putting out good stuff every once in a while and I thought he did a great job with it.
0: Yeah, and and weird things will capture magic. Like I think like 600,000 people right now just follow an account that tweets out every Friday about uh, James Bond, Daniel Craig saying, uh, welcome to the weekend or whatever. Yeah, ladies I think and gentlemen, like the
1: weekend, yes.
0: Yeah, I think that is like 600,000 followers now or something. It's like every now and then you'll capture that lightning in a bottle moment and you just play your hand right and you, you've been given this lightning in a bottle one in a million gift and people kind of play their hands
1: right on it or sometimes
0: they do. Sometimes your one in a million gift turns into
1: one article written about the Matt Patricia Burner account. It has 517,000 followers. (laughs) It has gotten each of its tweets saying, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend over the last, uh, I'm not scrolling back too much further, Have gotten 99,000 likes or more on every single one.
0: I think there's a spinoff version of that that is just uh, SNL uh, hosts introducing musical people. I think that has like 150,000
1: or something like that. That it's one's just not really, as good. That just wouldn't be as good. Like it's the because this one is the weekend. That is the that's the whole bit. The bit's perfect. It just it it lands every and every time I see people liking it on f- like Friday morning, I'm like, what the what is your weekend? Why is your weekend started at nine a.m.? <laughs> what is this?
0: Yeah, who knows? Like yeah, i I still
1: have work for another six hours, and then you guys are liking the weekend. I'm like, no, it's not the weekend yet. It is still Friday. You're still working. Stop making me feel bad for being at work today.
0: Technically, it's Veterans Day on Thursday. So, you know, there may be people popping straight into the tequila at like 9 30 in the morning tomorrow. Who knows? That's a Maybe very that
1: weekends start. that's a very true point.
0: <laughs> uh, all right. Do you want to talk Aaron Rodgers? Do you want to talk Jordan Love and your beloved Packers?
1: Sure. What do you, <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you want to know? I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a, an enigma. To put it nicely, uh, he's a guy that really marches to to the beat of his own drum, does his own thing, whenever he feels like it, for better or worse. And over the last week and a half or so, it's been a mixed bag. To to put it nicely, it's been a mixed bag. He's done his own thing, and he's been kind of called on some things, and he's made some good points and bad points. And at the end of the day, it's a good thing he's a football player and not doing anything else. So we've talked about this
0: idea before, but I think one thing we didn't touch on a bunch is you've, you've covered the Packers organization in the past. I don't know if you still do this year, but I know when we first were introduced to you, you covered the Packers. And so do what do you think of the Packers role in all of this? Because clearly they were trying to conceal the fact that Aaron was not vaccinated or at least willing to like entertain the notion so do you think they... I mean, they got like, what, a $300,000 fine or something. But do you think they hold any weight in complicity of this situation? And should, you know, does that speak poorly upon them? Or does it speak to the fact that they're like trying to cater to a person who might be
1: as valuable as the franchise itself? I mean, in in fairness, because uh, I got asked about this at work today, they the only rule they let him break publicly was the no mask at a press conference. And obviously he did that repeatedly. But that is the only one because, as he said on the the Pat McAfee show, I believe he said it on Friday. And then I believe he said it on – then I think he said it on, like, this Tuesday that just happened. His team knew. All the all the players knew. The, the NFL knew he was treated like an unvaccinated player. He was tested out in his car and had to wait in his car before he could come in the facility. He was tested every day. Had to eat by himself. Had all the restrictions of a unvaxed player. So it wasn't a it wasn't so much that they were keeping it a secret, so much as the no one thought to dig further. Like and he said on his when he went on Pat McAfee on Friday last week, he said. They had this, people had this story months ago. They just never ran with it. So he knew, he knew people knew it just didn't come out. And then as soon as he tests positive, that's when everybody came out and had something to say. And like, I don't agree with the whole like immunized, like trying to be coy with how he worded it. And, and he, he openly said, well, if somebody had asked me, then I would have asked, well, at the end of the day, he he made his decision. He got COVID. He dealt. with He made his bed. He lied in it. He, and he never claimed. He never claimed to be a medical expert. He never claimed to be a role model for people to follow. He just did his own thing. I don't necessarily agree with the way he handled it, but I mean, he he did it. It's over with and done with. I mean, Green Bay. Yeah, Green Bay took a fine. Guess what? Every NFL franchise is worth a bit, is worth hundreds of millions of dollars at this point. So three hundred thousand dollars isn't really gonna hurt them too much it'll go to some charity fund or whatever i don't know what the nfl does with all this fine money all i know is they like players get fined and i know, have no idea what the money what the money goes to it and goes I, to
0: some sort of organization i think they change it up every week but they they do give fine money to different organizations I think. can
1: you imagine can you imagine being the t- the the organization this week that that green bay got fined 300k Whereas you're the, the, you're the group last week that got like the $12,000 fine for an excessive celebration. You're like, we couldn't have been next week. What's going on here? I
0: I went further with this joke a while ago where I'm like, I know this isn't how it worked, but imagine if you're the organization who got it the week that Dan Snyder got his $10 million fine.
1: That, there you go. That's another one. Just like, Hey, Hey, we got to make sure we get fined whenever Dan Snyder's got some news dropping about him. Why? Just trust me. I think good things are going to happen if we do it.
0: Yeah, I, I know that's not how it actually worked, but I like to believe that's how it worked, that some charity for kids with cancer ended up getting a $10 million bump from Dan Snyder in one week, which is, again, it's funnier to believe that way than the fact that they like distribute the money evenly to important causes. Is All of a sudden, the NFL drops fine money onto the lap of someone else, and everyone's looking around like, come on man it's like when um at the nba all-star game when they do like uh they do like different prize monies i think they did hbcus last year and it's like the team that loses the losing team's like obligated to match the total of the winning team where it's like it's weird when you talk about how much money to give to what charity and how it seems like something might be more or less Comes calling
1: yeah. for that reason. Yeah. Anytime like amounts of money get involved in like teams winning and losing, it just seems weird. I'm like, just they, they don't, you just keep that stuff out of there. Like, we don't need to, we don't need to talk about like how much you're publicly giving to a charity because then it seems like you're giving more to one or like you care more and stuff. It's just don't do that stuff. Come on. Just like, let's just focus on the spirit of the game. Make it fun. Every charity that you're donating to gets the same amount. Call it a day. Like, if you want to say it, and because then it's, then it's like if your team loses, like if you're, cha- if you're the charity for the team that loses, you're like, oh, maybe our team just didn't care enough about us as the other team cared about their charity. And it's just I always thought that was weird. Like I get the premise of it and I get that you're trying to do an inherently good thing. But it's like there's easier and simpler ways to do it than to try and make it messy by like, oh, we're going to winning team is going to match or losing team has to match. The other one's like, stop it. Just keep it clean guys. Come
0: <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be an idealized world where you don't have to worry about prioritizing favorites, especially when it comes to charity. Uh, eh, we we it, just it, don't it, live in that. It'd place. be nice. It'd be nice. Yeah. So what, what'd you make of the first Jordan love game? Cause uh, it was, it was a bumpy start I'd say, but even still, I think he's bought himself some leeway a little bit and, I, I want to hear what you have to say first before I have anything else to add to it.
1: I think that anybody that drew a major conclusion off of that game saying whether love was good or bad, I I want you to do me a favor and I want you to go out and I want you to try and dodge 20 blitzes all game. You You have blitzers in your lap all game long. Your right guard can't block anybody. There's – just the routes take forever to develop, so you don't have time, so you're just having to chuck up the ball. You're not falling apart. It's you, there's There's nothing in front of you to keep you upright. Outside of the interception, he outplayed Patrick Mahomes all day. He had more yards on fewer attempts. He had his team in position to win multiple times. If it wasn't for special teams shooting themselves in the foot and Kevin King dropping an interception before the half, Green Bay wins that game. That's just the plain and simple of it. Kevin King had an interception thrown into his arms. He dropped it. Kansas City keeps the ball, kicks a field goal, and there's three points. You have two missed field goals by Green Bay, or a miss and a block. There's six more points. You have the punt that gets muffed off of your gunner's foot, and it gets picked up by Kansas City at the nine, and then they get a field goal out of that. There's nine to 12 points there. That you gave them by not executing correctly. And that just shows me one, this team's good. Two, the Chiefs have problems. And three, if Jordan Love gets to play in a game where he's not against mm-hmm. one of the most aggressive defensive coordinators in the league and Steve Spagnolo in one of the most hostile environments in the in the league in uh in Kansas City mm-hmm. and has a non-patrick offensive line in front of him. You got to think David Bakhtiari is still not playing. Center Josh Myers was out for that game. You're starting, so you're starting two, a ba- two backups in there. You have Elton at the left tackles, great. You have Billy Turner, at right tackles, doing well. Your inside is fine, but it needs a lot of work. And it showed, I think, I think Jordan Love is way better than we saw on Sunday. And I think that what the rest of the NFL needed to see there was. Not that Green Bay is weak. It's Green Bay is really, really good. And they almost beat the Chiefs on the road with Jordan Love, despite being down numerous all pro players. And we should all be looking over our shoulder a little bit more because that team that you guys were all like, oh, Green Bay just keeps winning. They're beating bad teams or whatever. Green Bay just hung with Kansas City, who is still, I'm pretty sure, a top five team in Super Bowl odds. And they did it with a backup quarterback and backups all over the board. Green Bay is one of the top three best teams in the NFL right now and it's pretty and they can easily be team one by the end of the week I'm glad you brought up the blitzing
0: part because this is something we talked about on Monday like I don't know if the cause correlation is Jordan Love struggled because the Chiefs blitz so much or because the Chiefs blitz so much knowing Jordan Love couldn't make the quick passes the way Tom Brady gets it out in two and a half seconds or the way uh, even Derek Carr gets it out in two and a half seconds, or. Uh, I don't even know, Aaron Rodgers even, you could say. or Jesse I, think it, was Herbert, the sec- I think it
1: was the second one because they knew that Jordan Love wouldn't be great against the Blitz, and then Matt LaFleur admitted after the game that he wasn't – that he should have adjusted the game plan to be less long-developing routes. He didn't make that adjustment, and it came back to bite the team as a whole. And so in that case, I look at it – because
0: first of all, my context for this is I don't think Jordan Love is going to be that good of a quarterback and that's only because when he was coming into the draft he was not rated very highly as a quarterback. Like he was a second round grade that happened to get drafted in the first round. He was someone comparable to Drew Locke in terms of a draft grade. So to that point I don't think Jordan Love was ever going to be something special unless everyone missed on him which I don't think is the case. We've only seen a few of those in the last decade like whether it's Russell Wilson or Dak Prescott of like, just everyone was wrong about this guy. I don't think Jordan Love is that. And so to that point, I don't know if that makes it like better or worse for the Packers, but <laughs> being better than Mahomes was also a low bar to hit for Jordan Love, which he hit that bar. But part of that was cause the Packers can't stop the run. So the chief said, we're only going to run the ball and use the pass like the run and then run the ball more and run the ball more and more and more <laughs> the entire game. So that was at least something you can build off of, but it didn't make me feel like great for either side. For the Chiefs, it made me like lose confidence in them. But also, the Packers have one of the, the Packers are like the anti Bucks defense where they have one of the best secondaries and worst rush defenses. So that was kind of the Chiefs just saying, well, if they're bad at running, at stopping the run, we're just going to run the ball the entire game. And every time Mahomes tried to throw it over the middle of the field, it was incomplete.
1: You know, Green Bay's run defense hasn't been that bad this year. Like it hasn't been the best. It's yeah, it's definitely not the Bucks, but the group hasn't been that bad. I'm uh, I don't have their DVOA numbers up in front of me, but they've been fi- they've been fine. They've definitely been better than they were a year ago, which that's the that's yeah. probably that's the main thing. Is because last year was in the last couple of years your run defense was just so bad. Yeah, 2019, it was atrocious. 2019 yeah. was so bad for the Packers. Like, and right now, around. their rush DVOA is 22nd, which isn't great. That's still better than it was, like you said, two years ago. And all you ever needed was your run defense to be fine. Because if your run defense can be fine and can stall enough drives, your offense is good enough to generate points. And that's what we've seen throughout the year. Green Bay's offense has been good enough, and their defense has been good enough. They slowed down. The Cardinals on the road—they just held the Chiefs to 13 points in a game that they probably should have only had 10. They ha- they repeatedly forced three and outs. They forced short drives. They didn't necessarily force any turnovers. This was their first game all season. They hadn't forced a turnover. This Green Bay defense—I we've all seen the images of who's the scariest defense in the NFL right now, and it's like Bills, Bucks, Rams, et cetera. Green Bay has been put on those because. Teams are paying attention to how well Green Bay is doing, and Green Bay's defense is doing all this without having all of their best players. Jair Alexander hasn't played in a month. Zadarius Smith hasn't played since he played 18 snaps in week one. Preston Smith missed his first game of his career a couple weeks ago. You have Adrian Amos. Adrian Amos is the only guy that's been there all the time. Eric Stokes missed the game against the Chiefs because he got hurt in pregame warm-ups, and he would have been a perfect guy to try and put on Tyreek Hill because he has the speed to keep up with him. You're starting Rasul Douglas, who was on practice squad a few weeks ago for for Arizona. That's Green Bay is getting stellar play out of guys that aren't their stars, and their stars are going to come back. That's why I'm not nervous about Green Bay getting beat by the Chiefs on the road. This is a game that everybody at the beginning of the year, when it was announced that, hey, there's going to be a 17th game, and Green Bay has to play in Kansas City. Green Bay fans are like, all right, we're probably going to lose that game. Let's go ahead and move on to the other games in the schedule. So the fact that you lost and you barely lost at that, that's that just tells you how good this defense is and once they're at full strength that's why i was saying they're going to be a problem for a lot of teams because they're not even fully healthy yet and they're already beating people yeah you touched
0: on a point that i think a lot of people are forgetting which is the packers are super bowl good they're they are super bowl good this year yeah they can't stop the run but they couldn't stop the run the last two years and 22nd is like fine because that's about where their talent level is. When you talk about like Clark in the middle and never having a middle linebacker, hey, <laughs> I don't, don't know who it is. Don't you slander
1: Devondre year. Campbell? Devondre Campbell. Is yeah, oh, that's the, right. He's graded out as one of the top three inside linebackers in the NFL right now. There will be no Devondre Campbell slander while I am on this podcast. That's None. fair. I forgot about him. I'm just used to like Christian Kirk season. Blake you're right. Martinez. You're right. They like... had never had any good inside linebackers in my lifetime to- or in my recent lifetime. But now they yeah, picked like up in Devondre the Campbell. McCarthy era. Right. They picked up Devondre Campbell right and even honestly during the McCarthy era uh, era, they didn't have good inside linebackers because they had Desmond Bishop who could never stay healthy. They had what was left of AJ Hawk for a few years, and then it was just random guys right now per pro football focus, which is not a it's not a flawless metric, but that's what we're using here. He is Devondre Campbell is the number one graded linebacker overall. He's number he is Number two in rush defense, he's he struggles a bit in pass rush compared to other guys, and then he's a top, he's fourth in coverage grade, but overall he is number one, and he's four points ahead of any other player that has at, at his position, while also playing 559 snaps this year, which ranks one, two, three, four, sixth among all inside linebackers.
0: That is fair. I totally forgot about Devondre Campbell in the middle, but the fact that he's that good and they still suck at stopping the run is remarkable. Uh, anyways, uh, the Packers are Super Bowl good. Yes. And even if they struggle to stop the run, they're still Super Bowl good because that's a small flaw to have. It's not like Kansas City's flaw, where that's something that can derail it. Not being able to stop the run doesn't mean your season's totally over. Not having Aaron Rodgers, that means your season's totally over. But that won't be the case. They will get him back. On that note, uh, this is a open ended question, so I will just defer to you on this. Are the Dallas Cowboys good? Yeah. How good are the Dallas Cowboys? Are the Dallas this Cowboys the good?
1: Question. Yes. Are they? How good are they? I think they're one of the five best teams in the NFC. I, they have like Dak's been injured the last. Ooh, how like,
0: about this? Are they one of the top four teams in the NFC?
1: Um, you know what? Let's just let's just pull up the NFC standings here real quick. Let's see. I can, use, yeah. I, I got, I got sick. it. So we got Rams. Yeah, no, I'd say they're one of the top four teams because I think they're better than Arizona. I don't think Arizona's that good, or I don't think Arizona. Ooh. Let me rephrase. Arizona's good. I don't think Arizona is better than any one of Green Bay, Tampa, Dallas, or the Rams. I would agree with you on
0: two of the four, and then. You can kinda like you can kinda pick and choose between the Rams and Cardinals. They're pretty close at this point. But I, I, I and Green Bay the Ra- Green the Rams Bay. just
1: added Bon Miller. Their offense is explosive as all get out. Their defense is getting their defense is getting better. They I I trust Matt Stafford more than I trust Kyler Murray. And specifically I trust Sean McVay more than I trust Cliff Kingsbury. So Yeah, that's, it's
0: so tough. But I I would say those four teams are even myself over the Cowboys. And I think I just don't trust the Cowboys defense is the reason why I'm like, I know they've been really good. And, you know, if not for eight points left on the board by Greg Zerline, then maybe the Cowboys have, uh, maybe the Cowboys were undefeated before losing by 30 to the Broncos. But even then, like, I don't feel, I feel like that team's a little bit of a
1: mirage this year, only because I don't trust the defense. I mean that's reasonable they like they were generating turnovers and sacks at at a just a rate that couldn't be replicated but you look at it they lost to the Bucks by 2 they held the Chargers to 17 they held the Eagles to 21 they gave up 28 to the Panthers but I'm pretty sure that was mostly garbage time stuff yeah Panthers got 14 points in the fourth quarter they just like the Cowboys aren't the best team but they've held some good opponents they held the Vikings to 16 They won that game despite having Cooper Rush at quarterback.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So you're right; their defense is was unsustainable, and that's kind of what we've seen. We've seen a little bit of regression out of them. They've been not getting as many sacks, not getting as many turnovers, not stopping as many drives, and getting as many like and just giving up more points. But I still think that they're. I trust Dak more than I trust um, Kyler. So, and also I'm not. Wow, really. Yeah, I, Dak has been good. I, and I think the only reason we never noticed it before was because the Clapper couldn't get out of his own way. Like, Jason Garrett was a terrible, terrible coach. And I, I just – I feel bad for him now because he has to deal with Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones is terrible. Oh, so you know I feel they, like they're they both failing each other. each other on that. I, I was going to say, like- they deserve each other. But I think Jason Garrett's a better coach than Daniel Jones – or Jason Garrett's a better play caller than – Daniel Jones is a quarterback, but Dak's good. Dak has all sorts of weapons. The offensive line in front of him is outstanding. The only reason he's not on pace to throw for 6,000 yards this year is because the defense has been good enough, and Zeke and Tony Pollard behind him have been one of the better run running back duos in the NFL this season. I think Dak's good. I trust him more than I trust Kyler because I've seen Dak be good longer. I've seen Dak be – an NFL elite quarterback. I've seen Dak be an MVP. Dak was on an MVP pace last year before he got hurt. Yeah, across
0: like six years, there have been times where Dak's been MVP level good. I was just surprised by the like, you trust him like more than Kyler Murray. Because coming into this year, I felt like those two were the same skill set. Like they're both tier two quarterbacks. They do very different things, but they're both good enough where if you put a good enough team around them they can make strategically great plays more often than most quarterbacks so like I think of that tier two group being like Josh Allen and Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott I think this year has given Kyler Murray a bump for me just because I've seen him do things that are wow type of plays and maybe that's just because I haven't seen them before with Kyler Murray and you know he's just young enough to that point and maybe that's part of it too but I felt like Kyler Murray gave me so much confidence when the uh, what was the game where uh, the Buff well there's like three down the line you can go to the Buffalo game last year you can go to the first game of the year against the Titans and Jaguars all that stuff down the line like Kyler Murray this year I look at him and I'm like that guy has a higher ceiling than Dak Prescott and even if he doesn't reach it now I think it there's a chance it could happen and. I guess that gives me confidence there because Dak feels more like a finished product. And I know Dak Prescott's still really good. I think that's why the Cowboys are going to win the division easily this year. And also maybe if, if they get a bad luck of the draw, have to play the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals in the playoffs in the first round, which would be really fun
1: if you so had a 5-4 matchup between those two. So that Bills game that they won last year, do you know what happened in the seven games that came after that one? I know two of them he didn't play, and one of them he played with a shoulder injury. But I don't really. Well, know so the he results. was playing with a shoulder injury basically the entire second half of the year. That's when the Cardinals really fell off. That's when they lost to the. That's when they lost to the Dolphins, and they started to slip a little bit. But anyway, so they beat the Bills thirty-two to thirty on the miracle hail mary, great, and then they lost to the Seahawks 21-28, and then they lost to the Patriots seventeen to twenty. And again, the the Cardinals, if I remember correctly, were favored by like six and a half or seven. Uh, then they lost to the rams by 10 then they beat the giants great and then you beat the eagles cool in the jalen hurts game and then you get beat by the 49ers and then you get beat by the cardinals or by, beat by the rams again but i don't i don't think that kyler's bad at all like i don't it's not that i think that kyler's bad it's i think that I think that Dak's just better. I think that Dak – and it's not – and most people would be like, oh, it's because you because of the prototypical quarterback because that's what Dak is. Dak is the prototypical quarterback that everybody wants. He's the he's taller. He's got more size to him. He's just the – he's more in the pocket. He can still move, but he's still a – he's still an in-the-pocket style guy. That's not Kyler. And, I, and there's a reason that Kyler is special. He can make plays that not everybody can make. His ability to move outside of the pocket and run with the ball – he is one of the fastest quarterbacks in the NFL. And when he's on the field, he is a game breaker. I heard a story a few weeks ago now that when he was like eight years old, his dad would only give him like three touches a game in peewee football because he would just run around everybody and it wouldn't be fair. And other parents and kids would get mad because he was just so much better than everybody else. And he was eight years old and he's still faster than everybody else that he's playing against. But I just trust Dak more. If it comes down to it, and I have a one v one heads up showdown game between Dallas and Arizona, and it's on a neutral site, I'm taking Dallas. I just, I like, I just like the Dallas team more. Um, I like their offensive weapons more. I like Dak's ability to get his team in the right situations more as well. His ability to read a defense is better than Kyler's right now. That's not a knock on Kyler. That's just Dak is one of the best at reading the line, reading that defense at the line of scrimmage. There's just there's only a couple of guys that are doing it at his level. It's him, Rogers, Brady. That that's a, that's the list right there of the top three guys when it comes to reading the defense at the line of scrimmage. He just knows how to pull all the right strings. Yeah, they lost against Denver last week, but I think that that was more yeah, nah, one that's of those just a
0: weird result. It was just a weird
1: a day happens. And yeah. Dak and this Dallas team are just one of the most explosive offenses. And they're just waiting to put it all together. And I think that that is coming sooner rather than later.
0: I I don't know if I think that can overcome the defense being average. And again, this is just because the NFC is so loaded this year. Like Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay and Green Bay both play totally different styles than both of those teams. I think the Rams are like my – if I had to pick someone right now to come out of the NFC, I'd pick the Rams because – they're the Rams, um, and last week didn't really say anything about them. I guess I just think Dallas is going to be like that middle of the t- the pack team. I guess like they're going to be the four seed or the three seed, and have to you know just by virtue of they have to play an extra game against Arizona or against the Rams, it's going to make their life that
1: much harder. Maybe I mean that's where cool. I have them. I have them fourth, uh, like in the NFC. I have obviously Green. I have Green Bay, Tampa, and LA as the top three. And then you, I think, then, yeah, I think that's I where Dallas I'm just for. getting out
0: ahead of it a bit.
1: I think I'm just getting out ahead
0: and being like, well, if they're going to be a four seed and they play Arizona in the playoffs, I mean, they could lose in the wild card round. So maybe that's me just getting out ahead of it before Dallas starts to lose more
1: games, which they will. They can um, even because, play the Rams in the first round. Arizona yeah. leads the NFC West right now, and they already hold one. They've already beaten the Rams once this year. So there is a possibility. There is a like a greater than zero chance that the Cardinals are going to win the NFC and the Cowboys will end up playing the Rams instead of playing a team like Arizona or somebody else, because with teams like green Bay and like Tampa holds the tiebreaker over Dallas. So if you assume Tampa is going to win a lot of their games down the stretch, which they will, because they have a cookie cutter schedule this year, it makes no sense. They play Buffalo and no one else. They play Buffalo and New Orleans, and no one else on the rest of their schedule. See, that's the beauty of not having to play a first place schedule. They
0: got like a whole lot of Bears in their schedule. They got a, I think they got like a Giants game in there somewhere. I was like, how are how is Tampa the Super Bowl champions playing the Giants?
1: Well, so they so they play the they play the Jets. So they play the they play the AFC East. They play the NFC, and then they play the NFC. South, no, the NFC West, right? Yeah, the NFC yeah. West, and then they play, and then they had a couple of one-off games, and 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 just no, 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 they're playing the NFC. No, they, yeah, I was gonna say NFC, NFC East. East, NFC East, and the AFC East, and then they play the second-place team in the NFC North, which is the Bears, second-place team in the NFC West, which was the Rams, and then they, had, but so they get to play the Bills, and then the Pats and Jets and Dolphins, who none of those teams are very good. You get to play Washington, the Giants, and the Eagles, who none of those three teams are very good this year. And you got to play Dallas, great. And then you got to play your division twice, or everybody twice. The Panthers can't get out of their own way, and you haven't even played the Panthers once yet. So now you're going to get to play the P.J. Walker Panthers. And you get to play the Saints one more time. You get to play the Falcons one more time. So just this – And the Colts, and for some reason the Colts. (laughs) Uh, Because – because that's their 17th game, that's the, the yeah. one off. I don't, and I don't know, so they went division
0: by division. So, like, the AFC West plays the NFC North and South South East East. Um, it's like weird like that. And then they picked like first place from one
1: division, plays first no, no, place no, no, no. I know how they do that. I meant I didn't yeah. know how they picked the 17th game, like, I didn't know how Green Bay ended up playing Kansas City. I'm like, what, why? Why is oh, this yeah.
0: Disturbing? No, they they picked a divisional matchup from, like, the year before, I think, and, or a year into the future or something, and then they set up first-first. So, like, for some reason, they picked all the NFC South plays all the AFC South, and first place in the AFC South last year plays first place in the NFC South this year. So the Bucks are playing second place in the AFC South for their 17th
1: game, which gotcha. happens to be the Colts. Gotcha. So there you go. So I just... I think that, yeah, I do agree. Like back to the very original point that got us on this tangent. I think Dallas is a top five team. I think they're top four in like, in my mind, I that's that's where I have them is I have the fourth in the NFC just behind those top three teams that we already talked about because flat out just those, those other three teams are better. Those other three teams are better right now. Um, And if you're going to pick, I'm not going to like the Rams defense is better than the Cowboys defense. Uh, And then I'm going to take Brady and I'm going to take Rogers over, back right now just just where it's at yeah i get it that
0: makes sense to me and the rams we don't i mean we think the rams are really good because that defense has been great but they can also score cooper cup is do we trust cooper cup over tom brady and aaron Rodgers? that's the joke on that side so uh yeah on the afc side so tell me if you disagree with any of these so chiefs win the afc
1: west yes or no maybe oh man i don't i do No, no, I don't think they do. They can't get out of their own damn way. So who does win the AFC West then? The Chargers. Go Chargers, go.
0: Okay, I like that. So that would be the one where there's just a split, but even with that, so then you have Buffalo, Titans, and Ravens win the division, right?
1: Buffalo, Titans, Ravens.
0: Yeah, yep, I I agree with all those. Okay, so now pick your three wildcard teams because there's a lot of teams there who I don't know what to do with. There's like five teams in the middle there. So pick your three wild card teams from
1: the AFC. Okay, so your three wild card teams in the AFC here. So we got I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick the Chiefs or one of them.
0: Yeah, that's okay. fair.
1: I guess that you that would be like for me the equivalent
0: of picking the Chargers, because I would have just had the Chiefs winning the division and say the Chargers are one of those teams because
1: I would have put the Chargers in this group of like six teams that are fighting for three spots. But
0: so based off
1: of good. so based off of my division predictions of Bills, Chargers, Ravens, Titans, that's my top 4. I had the Chiefs as one of the four wild card teams. Geez, the AFC West is gross. They all have five wins. Um I had the Browns. <laughs> they play
0: the NFC East. <laughs> I had the I have
1: the Browns in there as as the second wild card team. And then So here's who you're
0: left with at this point. I'll throw some names out. You have the Patriots, the Raiders, the Broncos, the
1: Steelers, and the Bengals. Okay. I almost was going to say the Patriots, but the Patriots have to play the Bills twice still. They have to play at Atlanta. They have to play Cleveland this week. They have to play the Titans in one game. They have to play at Miami in the final week of the season. Which I think could give them trouble, just because Miami always seems to give them trouble, and I think Brian Flores could be coaching for his job at that point. So, I'm gonna not say the Patriots, although they have looked good recently; they've won three straight. Hmm. And then I I don't trust Denver. I think the Raiders are doomed to fail. So now yeah, that's why I'm picking the, the
0: Chiefs f- this week. I'm picking the Chiefs this week on principle of the Raiders can't be good. <laughs> that's that's my principal stand this week for picking
1: Kansas City. <laughs> it's not bad, it's not bad, it's not bad practice. And then you have the Colts have to play Jacksonville, Houston, Jacksonville again, Raiders again one, two, three, four. So that would give them eight wins. Can they beat two of the four? They have to play Buffalo at Buffalo, they got to play Tampa, New England. Arizona. I think Indy can win at least two of those games, which I think would be good enough to get them into the playoffs. I don't trust Ben. I don't trust the Bengals. I'm taking the Colts. I and and people would be like, oh, you're from Indiana, so it's a homer pick. It's not. I like this isn't a this isn't a homer pick. This isn't just a oh, I'm from Indiana, so I'm picking the Colts thing. It's a I don't trust Ben. Ben's arm is bad. This offense is waiting to get beat they have they're five and three and they've still been outscored by eight points this year I don't trust this Steelers team I don't trust the Bengals because they just they lose stupid games they lost to the they lost to the Jets by three and then they got blown out by the Browns I just I don't trust this Bengals team to get out of their own way in time and, and also got crushed by the Bears yeah that was yeah that's another thing And that, like, you threw, like, three pick sixes or two pick sixes in the game. I just – I can't trust the Bengals. I don't trust Ben to stay healthy. I think the Browns are built to last. So it's Browns and then Colts. I just think the Colts, they have two games left against the Jags, though. They still have to play the Texans once. I think that they're able to sneak out a win or two against the Bucks Bills, Uh, Patriots Cardinals group. I don't know when, where those wins are coming, but I think they're able to sneak out one or two and sneak into the playoffs.
0: The Patriots one is what gives me trouble because the Patriots roster is not that talented, but they're doing more with less. I don't know if that's a Belichick thing or McDaniels thing or whatever it is. I don't know, but they're, they're doing more with less both offensively and defensively this year. And I don't know whether that's sustainable, but anytime you're dealing with the Patriots, it's always difficult to figure out. So I'm just like the Patriots could get one of those spots, could not. But I don't know if they're like ridiculously unbeatable. Because again, like if you took that offense on paper, that's like a bottom fourth offense in the NFL. Like of the teams we're talking about, the Patriots have the worst team on paper. And yet still they're what, like five and three at this point and have beaten legitimately good teams convincingly.
1: Yeah, they, like I said, they're a team that's just, they're getting the job done more so than they're blowing anybody out. Like the only the only big blowout wins they have this year are against the Jets and the Panthers. Like they, against the Jets, they put up fifty-four points. They beat the Panthers by eighteen. They beat the Jets by nineteen. They got didn't they beat the Chargers pretty good though? They beat the Chargers by three. Oh, it wasn't twenty-four a big I 24 and it's not. It's not like it was a late score either. It was Chargers went seven-seven-three-seven. 7, the patriots went 7 6 3 11 so they just outscored him in the fourth quarter so yeah so i don't i'm not convinced this Patriots team is going to be able to last to the end of the year also they're unsustainably good right now they're 4 and 0 on the road they're 1 and 4 at home <laughs> That's and that just funny. they're the they're only home. team in the entire afc that is undefeated on the road right now <laughs> Okay. Maybe, maybe I was wrong for picking them this week against Cleveland and having them like in lockstep towards the playoffs. Maybe that's not the case for the Patriots. Yeah. There's three teams in the entire NFL that are undefeated on the road. It's the Cardinals, the Rams and the Patriots. And the only team that is, there's two teams that are undefeated at home. And that is the Packers and the Bucks. And the Packers have only played three games at home. Man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this NFL season is going to shake out. We're at the halfway-ish point, and I have no clue what's going to happen. I don't know who the best team is. I don't know who's going to win the MVP. I don't know how the playoff race is going to shake out. I just know how – I know some teams that won't make it, and that's it. I don't I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know who the best team is, but I still feel like I know who the elite teams are this year. Like I, I know who like the best I know- teams are. I'm saying I don't know who the best team is. Like if you said, hey, who's the best team right now, I have no idea. I have no no idea because I think any team can literally beat anybody any given Sunday right now. I mean, the Texans managed to stay in games even when they have no right to be in them.
0: Yeah, the last time I remember something like this was the first year before the Chiefs have kind of taken off, which was when they were really good with Mahomes and the Rams and the Saints and the Patriots that year, where we knew all those teams were really good. And we had no idea once we got to those games who was going to win what, both in the Super Bowl year and the conference championships, which both went to overtime. Like, that's the last time I felt like we know who's really good, but we don't know who's going to win once they play each other. Like, Buffalo and Baltimore feels like a crash course for the AFC championship game. You can pick whoever you want in that one to win. NFC side, any of those four teams can beat each other up any given week. And so. I feel like once we get to that part of the playoffs, we're not going to know what to do, and it's going to be really matchup based. And it's been it, only in a non-Chiefs world have we had something like this over the last five or so years.
1: Yeah, no, there's no there, but honestly, I mean, this is what the NFL wants. There's been more for I think more fourth quarter comebacks this year at this point than there were like all of last season, or at, at this, there was like it's like double what there was at this point a year ago. There's so many close games. There's fewer blowouts. There's other than a couple of divisions. Every everybody is within a couple games of each other. Like other than the NFC North and the NFC East, the top two teams are all separated by fewer than like they're all either tied, same amount of wins, or they're one game apart. Oh, and then the the AFC South is Titans seven and two, Colts four and five, but. So all the divisions are close yeah. to and all, and we already talked about trying to pick out the seven playoff teams is impossible. In the AFC alone, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You have nine teams with five wins, not five or more five. That's over <laughs> half <the conference> has <laughs> five wins. And then you throw in the Ravens and the Titans, and now you have 11 teams in the AFC. So that's 11 out of 16 have five or more wins. That's fantastic. That is so fantastic.
0: (laughs) The AFC is just beating up on all these terrible NFC teams and it's making for chaos in the conference.
1: Yeah, then you you go to the NFC and you have one, two, three, four, five, six teams with five or more wins.
0: Yeah, but one of those is also the Saints and we know the Saints aren't
1: actually that good. I think the Saints are actually better and you give them credit for
0: I think the Saints...
1: I think they're a wild card game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're good enough to make a wild card, but I think that the saints are good from the, the Belichick standpoint, you had the, the, the Patriots are kind of overperforming despite their talent. I think the saints are good enough at, they know what they do well. And they do that thing. Well, they have an offensive line, still an elite group. They have Alvin Kamara still one of the best running backs in the NFL. And they they play good defense. They play good run defense. And they know how to generate chaos on the back end. They they just yeah, beat, yeah. they beat the Bucks, who's everybody's favorite to win the Super Bowl. They just beat the Bucks. It just happened. So clearly, so you and I both happen. agree the Bucks aren't actually that good. But point made for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think the Saints are one of the elite teams in the league. But I just think that the Saints are a good team. They are a fine team that I think can cause problems for people because of the way their scheme is set up. Like they, they're just, that's what, that's why I say they're good. They're good from the, they know what they do and they do that thing. They don't try and do too much other stuff. This is the best way
0: I can clarify that one in my head, which is the saints are good the same way the Philip Rivers
1: cults were good. They were fine. (laughs) That's that, that is the, the, are you good? No, we're fine. There you go. That's like, you are, you are lukewarm.
0: So are the saints above lukewarm at this point?
1: So the saints are, the saints are slightly better than lukewarm in your opinion. I think they're slightly better than lukewarm, but I also don't think they're that good. I think that they are a step, but they're a clear tier below everybody in the NFC, everybody else in the NFC. But I also think that they're better than most other teams in the NFC. Like I think the saints are definitely bet. The saints are definitely below the teams we talked about earlier, Dallas, Arizona, LA, Green Bay, Tampa but I also think that the Saints are better than Atlanta even though they just lost to Atlanta but I think they're definitely better than Minnesota I think they're better than Seattle they're definitely better than the other three NFC East teams I think that New Orleans is caught in this awkward middle ground where they're they're good enough to not get a bad pick or not get a good pick but they're also bad enough to not actually do anything in the playoffs I think it's just a weird year, like all those years
0: where the Western Conference would kick ass against the East in the NBA, where it's like there are a lot of those teams. It's just seven of them are in the AFC and only two of them are in the NFC this year. Well, one of them. And I guess two. I guess if you
1: want to throw the Vikings in there, maybe. No, the Vikings are terrible. Vikings are bad. okay. Vikings are bad? Okay, but the Falcons The, are bad. the, the, the Vikings the Vikings yeah, I don't think the Falcons are good either. The Vikings are the Vikings aren't good. They beat the Lions by 2 on a last second field goal. You put up 7 points against the Browns. You beat the Vikings you beat the Seahawks by 13. Congrats. You also scored almost all your points in the second half. You lose to to the Bengals by 3. You lose to the Cardinals. You barely beat the Panthers, and it takes you to overtime to beat the Panthers, who we all openly know are bad. You lose to the Ravens, and then you lose to the backup quarterback, Dallas Cowboys. And you did it at home. You were in Minnesota, and you lost to a backup quarterback.
0: Yeah. I. (laughs) So, no, (laughs) Minnesota's bad. But at the same time... Who's going to get the seventh seed? This is my final question for you. Who's going to get the seventh seed
1: in the NF? Oh, well, then who's going to get the sixth seed? Okay, wait, okay. So, hold on. We got Green Bay, Arizona, LA, Dallas, Tampa, New Orleans. All right, so that's six. All right, who's going to get the seventh seed, and why is it Daniel Jones? Uh, no, no, I, no, I will boycott the <laughs> NFL if it's Daniel Jones. I think it's Atlanta. I think Atlanta ends up – Oh the no, not-
0: they're so bad. No, it can't be Atlanta. No, Atlanta can't make the playoffs. <laughs> Is it Russell Wilson? Is Russell Wilson going to carry the Seahawks back to the playoffs? Let me
1: look at the Seahawks schedule and just see if they have easy games down the stretch. They got to play Chicago. They play at Houston. They play at Washington. They play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, It's Seattle. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, I'm like it can't be the Falcons. The Falcons are not good. Okay, well Seattle's not been great either, but Seattle has to play at Houston, so there's a win. They got to play Chicago, that's probably a win. They got to play the Lions, that's probably a win. So there's three wins right there. They got to play yeah. Washington, that's probably a win. So I think that there's some win. I think there's wins on their schedule. It's just the whoever wins the NFC like the 7th seed could very well only have eight wins. They could be eight and nine.
0: Yeah, and it could be like last year where the Bears only had eight wins, but really they were a five and eleven team that happened to be eight and eight because DeAndre Swift dropped that pass and the Falcons blew a sixteen point lead in five minutes.
1: Hey, yeah. so the, Bears, the Bears were good, man. Mitch Trubisky. The last drum, year's God. Bears. Last oh, year's Bears were shit. The Bears would have. Bears. The Bears would have won more games if Trubisky started the games that Nick Foles started. Yeah, but that that was bas- That playoff game
0: last, the Nickelodeon playoff game last year. That was basically a five and eleven team against a twelve and four
1: team, and that's they had fair. no chance. That, that's they fair. I no mean, Brees also had no arm, but that's fair.
0: Yeah, so even not even a real twelve and four team, like a, a kind of twelve
1: and four team, and they still had no chance against. I'm not teams. saying that. I'm saying the bear. Uh, the, I'm saying the Bears were good from the standpoint of they weren't as bad as everybody made them out to be. They weren't great, but they definitely were not as bad as everyone made. And everybody wanted to make jokes about Mitch Trubisky, and they said, "Oh, start Nick Foles," and then it's like, "Are you watching Nick Foles? He's terrible. Nick Foles is doing yeah. nothing to make his team better." Sure enough, you start Mitch Trubisky again, you start winning games look how that freaking works well it also
0: uh david montgomery had 800 rushing yards in the final five games of the season so was also kind of where it he didn't have that before that was kind of where things pivoted for the bears was when david mont when they finally had a not bad rushing game then they were just good enough to win enough games to sneak into the playoffs
1: only because Kyler murray injured his shoulder yeah, I I'll agree that I'll agree with that. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to make sure that the bears aren't just completely buried here. They were fine. Oh,
0: well I, we, we can't talk about the modern bears cause we now have an embargo on our podcast that we will not talk about the bears again until September of 2022. We will not see that their season's over now. They're going to fire their coach. They have no draft pick and we're not going to have any conversation about them seriously for the next 10 months. <laughs> so yeah, that's, we'll that's
1: probably a that good, probably a good way to handle the bears this year.
0: Yeah, we're, we know what they are. Their season's over, uh, and we will not talk about them seriously until next year. You, I said, honestly, you can tell me who the coach is like a week before the season starts. I can formulate my opinion on the Bears next year. They're going to lose Allen Robinson in free agency. They're going to replace him with a middle-level wide receiver for like a Golden Tate or something. I don't know. Like They'll replace him with a middling wide receiver who they'll pay $6 million a year to. You can. I can pretty
1: much evaluate the Bears by next September. Yeah, unless they go with a really outside the box coach, I'm not like I. I think that they're going to be pretty much what everybody expects them to be. I don't know what they're going who they're going to hire, but it's going to be a very interesting hire to say the least. Because I mean, like if you if you're the coach that believes in Justin Fields, there's some parts there to work with. Not a ton, but there is some parts. Yeah, and you you can tell me who it
0: is week one. I'll 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 be able to do my Bears season preview if you tell me who the coach is in September. I don't need to know it. I don't need to spend months trying to figure out whether this coach is good or not for the Bears or whether Justin Fields will take the next leap on any of that. So yeah, I don't think the Bears were actually that good. But someone's good. <laughs> to the point of the seven seed, if you want to like simple it down all the way, you're talking about Russell Wilson versus Jimmy Garoppolo versus... Matt Ryan's rotting corpse versus PJ Walker versus Daniel Jones versus Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni on that basic level. I think Russell Wilson's just going to win it by default in getting
1: that seventh playoff spot. Yeah, I pick, I pick Russ. It's just his schedule's not like, his schedule's not the easiest. They do only have three wins. They do have to play green Bay this week and I'm picking green Bay to win that game. Obviously I just, there's, there's a lot of moving parts there. It's going to be very interesting to see if they are too far in a hole to dig themselves out of it because they got to be basically perfect the rest of the way to try and dig themselves out of that hole. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Appreciate the full hour here. Uh, we yeah. we kind
0: of got off track towards the back end, but appreciate you coming on here.
1: Thanks for having me on, Kyle.
0: Uh, we'll talk to you again later. Absolutely, and maybe by then Daniel Jones will be in the playoffs. Oh, please, God, no. See you. You right now are the same thing I said about Alex Smith last year because I know Alex Smith was like a fun story and all that. But I said, I said last year, if you count starters and backups, Alex Smith was the worst quarterback in the NFL last season. And I was going to boycott a playoff game if Alex Smith played. Unfortunately, Heineke went in for him. Uh, I guess fortunately for watching it, unfortunately because he got hurt and that was the end of his career. But fortunately, like Taylor Heineke
1: played, so I like was willing to watch it a little bit. Uh, Only slightly more, but Yeah, yeah, stuff would have been bad, but no, I don't, I don't have any desire to watch Daniel Jones play playoff football. He's bad. He's been bad. He's never going to be anything other than bad.
0: I want it to happen only so that the giants, like they should have already fumigated the place. I said three weeks ago, they should have just fired Gettleman and judge and just said, I don't know, defensive coordinator, see how you fare as an interim coach, but uh, I just want it to happen so that they give Daniel Jones a four-year contract and re-up Dave Gettleman, just so we can keep the content going. They need to be ju- they need to be awful, but just good enough every now and then to sneak in and keep their jobs, so that Wellington Mara can keep making terrible decisions for a mediocre franchise. For that reason, that's okay. That I that I'd be okay with just for that.